the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. Check out theathletic.com slash Spot Track, S P O T R A C, and get 40% off that first year subscription today. We're going to reference The Athletic quite a bit today. There's a piece about Hal Steinbrenner and the Yankees and the Aaron Judge situation, which I get to. There's a great piece from John Ollinger getting super nerdy, super detailed about the options for Kevin Durant and what that might mean. Some actual logical options, one that is a CBA nightmare and a few that actually make a little more sense and are a little less hectic. So I kind of break down that at the back end of the show as well. Visit theathletic.com slash spot track for this and plenty of other great pieces. We are also provided by DynastyOwner.com, the preeminent Dynasty Fantasy Football League on the internet. Great app, great website, easy to use, totally customizable, tons of bells and whistles, and of course, real NFL salaries that make you have to make the real GM moves on a daily basis. So Baker Mayfield traded. Are you keeping him on your roster? Does he have a chance to start for you in the Carolina Panthers? And will he be of some value and some productivity for you at what is still an $18 million average salary, but it's been truncated and chunked up into three different directions as I break down here to start the podcast today. Visit DynastyCenter.com, use code SPOTTRACK20, take a few bucks off as you register and get your fantasy football league started for the 2022 season. My name is Mike Chinetti. Happy Wednesday. It's about the midseason of Major League Baseball. I talk a little bit about our best values from a positional standpoint, from a starting pitcher and a relief pitcher standpoint, right? No matter the average salary, if you're producing, you can make a best value uh, calculation work for you in terms of spot track algorithm. So I got a bunch. It's a good mixed bag. There's a few rookie contractors you might imagine, a couple of guys making 20 million plus in this conversation right now, and of course one pending free agent that we're going to talk about in length because his front office is talking about him right now, and that would be Aaron Judge and the New York Yankees. So Major League Baseball best values, Major League Baseball and the Yankees and Aaron Judge, and where that may be headed based on the owner's new standpoints. The NBA with Kevin Durant at the back end of the show. A couple of destinations that I really like and some of the math and how it has to work out and what things, by by the way, can't work out financially speaking because of the CBA and the NBA. And of course, Baker Mayfield moves on to Carolina. We knew it was coming. We didn't know when. The timing's appropriate. The money splits appropriate. The compensation is appropriate. I tack on all of that in this next segment here. You know, in the middle of the summer, even when you have a uh, multi-sport application like we do here at SpotTrack, sometimes you have to sit around thinking, what the heck are we going to talk about this week? And then the NFL gives you a gift. And that gift right now is Baker Mayfield moving on to Carolina. As expected, the timing of it was, I don't know, TBD, right? This could have happened at the draft. This could have happened. I mean, this probably should have happened in February before the Deshaun Watson situation, but that's something we've talked about quite a bit here. I'm not even going to bring that into it because it's here. It's real. The move has happened. It's a conditional fifth round pick, which can be a fourth round pick based on playing time. Let's start with the money. It sounds like Baker took a three and a half million dollar bath here. And yes, he can make that back in incentives. Certainly we're going to try to get a look at this contract and understand what those incentives look like. But that would be, you know, that's barring him winning this job at some point during the season, if not week one, which I'll get to in a bit. So Cleveland takes on 10 and a half million. That's now their dead cap and cash hit for 2022. Unless they converted that to a signing bonus first and, and kind of push that down the line. But I do not believe that is the case at this moment in time. 
And oh, by the way, Cleveland still has 48 million of top 51 cap space to work with now after this move. So they certainly have the, the real estate to take on this kind of hit. They've freed up 8 million just by doing this. So 10 and a half stays with Cleveland, three and a half turns into incentives for Carolina and Carolina's new cap and cash hit for Baker Mayfield is around 4.85 million. That's how the 18.8 million breaks down per the three units, right? Baker's essential conversion to incentives, the Panthers portion, and the Browns portion. Pretty simple stuff. Um, what does this mean for Carolina? Well, the timing of this is very important to what it means. Because, and I've, I've been saying this passive-aggressively now, if not outright blatantly <laughs> for the past week, uh, no team should have done this. No team should have bailed out Cleveland. They got themselves into this mess voluntarily. They didn't handle it well at any point in time. And in my opinion, all, all of the teams in the NFL should have waited for them to have to release them and eat that $18 million. That's where I think it should have gone. Didn't go there. And the reason it didn't go there, and Carolina's been aggressive, like I said, there's been a couple of moments throughout this offseason that they have been at the forefront of this, basically saying, look, if you take X dollars off this, this salary, we'll get this done. And finally, that came to that, got to that point. Cleveland folded on splitting this thing off at nine and took on a little bit more, an extra 10 and a half here. So it got to this point. It's certainly a low buy for Carolina. The timing of this means what you might think it means. There's a competition now at this quarterback position. This is not Baker Mayfield walking into a starting role. Sam Darnold has played well, you know, in terms of Sam Darnold's standards uh, throughout the offseason, which means absolutely nothing. All it means is he's a competent quarterback, which he was four years ago. And now this is year five. And his 18 and a half million is fully guaranteed as well. So two very similar quarterbacks from a contractual standpoint, from a career standpoint, they kind of started together. Now they literally may finish together. And uh, it's one year, $23 million for these two guys to be in the same room. That's what Carolina's given up. And that's what I want to focus on here for the next few minutes. Uh, the immediate reaction is to make fun of this move. And the immediate, more intelligent reaction is, holy cow, the Jets got a second and a fourth round pick for Sam Darnold last year. Now the Browns only got a fifth, maybe a fourth for, for Baker Mayfield. And you, you cannot just say that out loud without talking about contact. You can't do it. Number one, yes, everybody in the world knew the Jets were going to take a quarterback. So there was some lack of leverage in their regard to get rid of Sam Darnold. But Sam Darnold just had a weird year with mono and ghosts and whatever the hell else you want to talk about. He did have some flashes, similar to Baker, had some flashes. Now that trade happened before the draft, like 20 days before the draft, 25 days before the draft, the draft to be perfectly fair. So they didn't have Zach Wilson on the roster yet. Sam Darnold was still the starting quarterback at this point in time. Yes, rumored heavily that they were going to take a quarterback. But that's how this was going, right? It was horse before the cart. That's what the Jets did. And in turn, and by the way, there were two years left. There was the fourth year, fully guaranteed $4 million on the fourth year of Sam Darnold's rookie contract. And then that fifth year option that was looming. And sure. You know, they didn't have to exercise that option. That could have been a one-year, $4 million contract, and he could be in free agency. That's probably what they should have done. And we were saying that at the time. That's not what happened. They exercised the option. They made this a $24, $25 million contract over two years. But there were two years left on this contract. Okay? That's always going to cost more on a trade. Always. Especially a quarterback. It's going to cost more. So... 
Did the Carolina Panthers overpay for Sam Darnold last year? Yes. Should they have exercised the option? No. They did it. They're here. He's still not a slam dunk definite QB1 for them. So here they are, kind of version 2.0. Baker Mayfield in a very similar situation with absolutely no leverage for the Cleveland Browns. None. Because they did everything backwards. Okay? They already have their QB1 uh, asterisk to a massive contract asterisk. And now they have to get rid of this guy, not just because he's been replaced, but because the relationship has been completely fractured as we all know. So it's not going to be a second and a fourth. It's not going to be a second. It's not even going to be a fourth. Okay. It's a fifth and we'll take on, you know, chump change in 4.8 million. And if this guy plays well, well, we'll bump that up to seven or eight. And everybody will be happy about this. And that's just fine. So from a trade compensation standpoint, the fact that the Browns got absolutely anything, the fact that the Browns didn't just get a seventh round pick is a freaking miracle. Now it's 2024. So it's, you know, a punch years out here. But the fact that this is a seventh round pick, to me, it's crazy what Carolina just gave up. Crazy. Now that it probably took the extra one and a half million dollars, right? The 10.5 instead of 8.9 to get it to a fifth round pick, right? So an extra million and a half or 2 million for, for the Browns cash this year bought them probably a, a fifth instead of a seventh. That's probably exactly what happened in these negotiations. So fine, they get their fifth round pick. They can, you know, that's probably one of the picks they gave up to bring Deshaun Watson in anyway. So good on them. But you can't compare these. It's apples and pears here, all right? So... Is this a terrible move for Carolina? You can't tell me. You can't go sit down and write the article right now and grade this D. You can't do it. You just can't because this is a quarterback. Sure. Baker Mayfield, not Russell Wilson. The, the Broncos had a better offseason than the Panthers. All right? No question in my mind. So did the Packers. So did, any te- so did the Browns, by the way. Because uh, eventually they're going to have Deshaun Watson playing quarterback for them, and he's a better quarterback than Baker Mayfield. So. You just can't tell me that paying four and a half or five million dollars for a potential starting quarterback and giving up a fifth round pick for a one year showcase, see what we got, maybe even just a camp competition, right? Baker may never play a snap for this team. Who knows? But it's not our money. And five million dollars isn't a lot of money in the NFL, in any sport, really. And especially for this position, the most important position in all the sports. I'm going to bore you to death with, with, that, with that again but it is. And they aren't comfortable and they think they can be better. And oh, by the way, the entire front office and coaching staff is going to get fired if this doesn't work. And they were going to get fired if Sam Darnold didn't work anyway. So we might as well throw a couple extra million at this and see what the hell sticks on the wall. And if Baker sticks, because he's pretty pissed off right now, and a pissed off Baker Mayfield could be pretty darn good for one year. If this sticks, then everybody's happy. By the way, Carolina tried to get to Sean Watson. They made an offer. It was 100% reported by, by the NFL Network. They made a solid offer. Certainly not the Browns offer, but I got to tell you something. Even if they made the Browns offer, Deshaun had to waive his no trade clause to go there. So he had to pick them. Carolina's not getting picked out of the Saints and the Falcons and the Browns and the Panthers. They're just not. That's not the market they are. That's not the franchise they are. They've got, they've got you know, single-digit wins over the past few seasons. Single digits combined. So they haven't earned the right to get these kind of players for, you know, for nothing. 
Russell Wilson was not going to Carolina. It's just, it's just not how this works. Hey, Mitch Trubisky was not going to Carolina because he had a better offer from a better franchise right now. That's just where we are. Bad teams have to, t- have to make semi-bad decisions to get here, to get here. And maybe this is another step up the ladder for them. That's all they're looking for here. That's what $5 million represents at the quarterback position. Let's just take the step forward. And if we don't, we're going to rip this thing all the way freaking down because these guys are on one-year contracts and we're going to the bottom and McCaffrey's gone and Robbie Anderson's gone and everybody's gone. And we're going to have to start this. And by the way, Matt Rule's gone. and GM's gone. You know how this is going to work. But the chips are all in from a bad team perspective. Okay, The Rams are all in from a good team perspective. The Bills are all in from a good team perspective. This is a bad team saying, we got to go all in right now and try to save our asses. <laughs> That's what they're doing here, okay? And I can't fault them for that. It's an A grade every time. Okay, they're not pulling a guy off the street. This guy played starting quarterback last year. Yeah, he's inaccurate. He makes terrible decisions at times. But there, this, there's a massive fire lit under his ass right now. Massive to the point of where you have to root for him. And oh, by the way, and you're going to see it all over Twitter, week one, Browns and Panthers. So if he's even neck and neck with Sam Darnold out of camp here, guess who's starting week one? <laughs> okay. I have a feeling that you just want to make that the content, right? You want to be relevant. You want to get a small market relevant, start the guy against the team that, that kicked into the curb with a $230 million fully guaranteed contract amidst lawsuits. That's the guy you want starting a quarterback week one against the other team. So there's a lot to like here. There's a lot to make fun of and go have it. That's not my job. Go, you know, have at it. Do your memes, do whatever you're going to do. We don't draw Baker Mayfield's face in a ghost costume and put him next to Sam Darnold, whatever the hell you want to do. Okay. I get it. All right. I have those kind of you know discussions with beers now and then too. But if I'm doing my job here, I have to tell you this flat out. This is low buy potential mid ceiling for Carolina. And it is a bunch of guys and gals sitting around a front office saying, this is kind of our last ditch effort. All he's got to be is better than Sam Darnold because Sam Darnold was adequate when he was healthy last year. Adequate. That, that was a, a somewhat winning team until McCaffrey went down. And that's the bigger part of this conversation, by the way. They've improved their wide receiver core a little bit. You know, some of those guys have grown up. DJ Moore's back. Robbie Anderson, I think, will stick for this year. And then who knows? But this isn't a terrible roster from A to Z. It's not. Defense leaves a lot to be desired, but they've made some acquisitions there as well, including at the deadline last year. They're, they are really trying. They are, they are making the attempts to bring in faces in their tier, right, in their realm, that can improve one ladder up the, up, and one rung up the ladder because they can't just go from Z to A. It's just not how this works unless they rip the Band-Aid off. And if none of this works, if Darnold is Darnold and Baker is Baker and McCaffrey, you know, McCaffrey's and is out by week six again, then, and I'll say it again, this is all going out, away next year. All of it from front office, the coaching staff, the quarterback room, it's all going away. This may be Matt Corral's team by week 11, and we're turning the corner on, on a brand new everything. But that's fine, because as of right now, two weeks before training camp, there's a legitimate veteran quarterback competition, and that's more than they had 24 hours ago. And it's costing them a fifth-round pick, and $5 million. I can't fault that. I can't fault that. That's a bad team trying to be better. And you, that's what you want out of all your sports. The alternative is to go backwards. And nobody should be looking for that in July. 
everybody should be positive thinking the right things. And this is a, a vote of confidence for a roster that is not, should not be the worst in football and maybe a little better now with Baker Mayfield. So Aaron Judge is back in the news, not just because the Yankees are phenomenal on historic record paces across the board. By the way, so is Aaron Judge and his statistics speak for themselves right now. He's back in the news because Hal Steinbrenner has basically said, you know, we're monitoring everything here. <laughs> we understand the contract situation. Uh, we understand that the numbers got, you know, were revealed by our general manager, Brian Cashman. They're, they're speaking to the value of Aaron Judge out loud here. And it got me thinking. It got me thinking. Because Cousin Dan and I had a really nice conversation, I thought, about just how this could work. You know, what happens if this thing gets to the finish line and Aaron Judge is 60 home runs? And the Yankees are 110 plus wins. And they do run the table and get themselves that ring. Does that make it more likely that Aaron Judge walks? Because haven't the Yankees then gotten what they needed out of him? And isn't that sort of the trend now in sports? You know, we talk about all the time, especially with, you know, the basketball side of this, that the, the days of the dynasty, the days of, oh, we can do this for four or five more years, that's gone. And it's gone to the point of where I'm not even sure GMs truly believe they should build that way. So when, when this gets to the finish line in any, in any regard, you know, we, obviously there's examples of teams trying to continue to go and go and go. The Milwaukee Bucks with Giannis, blah, blah, blah. Houston constantly over and over, though they have let big pieces walk over the past two seasons, each of the past two. It, aren't we in that mindset? It, now, it may be extremely hard for the Yankees to have this mindset, but I believe that the current front office there has done enough to show me that they are modernized to this point, to where it's just about the ring. And yes, Aaron Judge gives us the best chance to get a ring on an annual basis. But Aaron Judge at $40 million a year may not. He may not. Because then we'll have to turn back into the Yankees of old, the, the Dodgers of current, which is we're going way over the tax threshold. We're going to do what we have to do. Everybody has a price tag, and we have to be willing to pay it, no matter what, across the board. If we need a, you know, an SP2, if we need a shortstop, if our guys aren't ready internally below us, and we got to go pay... Trey Turner or Dansby Swanson, whatever the heck it's going to be, we'll do it. We'll do it for a one to two to three year basis because that's what our window of contention is. I'd be fine with that. I'd love to see the Yankees go back to the Yankees of old from a selfish standpoint in monitoring the finances. But to me, they've shown that they're not that team. To me, they've shown that they are trying to maximize value and maximize success all in the same sentence. You know, similar to what Tampa Bay has tried to do, certainly what Houston has been able to do over the past decade or so. There's been a, real, a lot of examples of this, especially in baseball. And by the way, football as well. We've seen some Moneyball-type teams get themselves way up to the top here. And it's not an annual thing. It's not. I don't believe you can do what the Yankees are trying to do, which is nickel and dime certain areas of the game and consistently be great. And they haven't been. They weren't great two years ago, you know, and injuries are a big part of that, but that's because of the people they chose. Truly, they put together rosters that had risks. And for whatever reason, you know, one way or another, this current roster, knock on wood for their sake, isn't going through that process. They're not having an injury a week. You're not seeing their great high paid players really kind of go through slump stretches. Everybody's just ticking and cruising along here down the train tracks. And they are boring through the AL East and on their way to the postseason. It's, it's a 
it's a done deal at this point, almost 60 wins at the, at the time of this recording. So, and we are on July 6th here with this. So just outstanding success and still pretty good value. You know, if we talk about the payroll, yeah, it's third from a major league baseball payroll statistic. If we talk about the tax, you know, they're also third and that's accumulated over the past, whatever, three and a half months here. So they're not dogging it by any means, you know, they're also not the top, which is where they had been for quite a long time, especially the A-Rod years. They're just not doing that. The Dodgers are ahead of them in both regards, and that's without Trevor Bauer, by the way. So there's a lot to be said for maybe the sweet spot that they've found. And by the way, that sweet spot includes Aaron Judge at 19 million right now. And yes, Stanton's got a bloated contract at 22. Garrett Cole's the highest paid pitcher in baseball still at 36, excuse me, under Max Scherzer at this point. Um, you know, Donaldson's contract is, is a bit of an overpay with 25 against the tax. So they're adding big pieces, but not monumentally big pieces. They're not going to the Mets and the Dodgers offers. And they may have to, and they will have to, to keep Aaron Judge. And I think Hal Steinbrenner is saying out loud two things. Number one, we think the offer we made him before the season was excellent. And I do too, by the way, I do too. And yes, he's outplaying that right now. He is a expensive, high-paid asset right now. He's, that's what he's leading himself down the, down the path to. And Hal Steinbrenner is also saying he's been an unbelievable value to this Yankees. He's been an unbelievable Yankee as a, as a person and as a player. He's saying these things out loud on July 6th, 2022, because there's just an awful lot that can happen here. And my thinking is, my thinking is he gets this thing to the finish line He's a huge part of this 2022 season. And then it's sayonara. Let's let the Giants pay this because we got our ring with this guy. And it's so unlikely that we're going to get a second and, and, or a third, you know, which is the Yankees of old, that we shouldn't even consider it unless this guy wants to stay for 30, 35 million. That's, that's the approach that needs to be taken here. I, I, I think that's what Steinbrenner is starting to say out loud is we might get the best version of Aaron Judge in 2022 at 19 million. He may never be this good ever again. We're getting a ton of value out of almost 20 million bucks and we're loving every second of it. And we are grateful for every second of it. And if this thing goes to the end and, and, and we're putting some rings on our fingers, sayonara. I, I'm ready for this. I'm prepared for this now as a, as a sports business kind of analyst. I'm prepared for this historic season to be simply that. Why try to rec recreate this? <laughs> it's it's going to be damn near impossible if they can do it. And there's a long way until that, that's the case. But I think it's brilliant by Hale Steinmetter to start, to start to plant these seeds in our brains, which is, let's enjoy this ride. We've had a good, long six-year run with Judge, and it may culminate in 2022. It's not unlike Freddie Freeman's situation, MVP in 2020, you know, basically a postseason MVP in 2021 with the World Series win. And we're going to get eight years younger. I get it. I really do get it. So there's a model out there for this to happen. The Braves just did it. We've seen a lot of other franchises do this as well. And I think there's a chance that instead of him being Joe Flacco, that he's Freddie Freeman. And that's what the Yankees could be adding up to here in the end of the year. Major League Baseball's midseason is already here. The All-Star Week is upon us. 
I'm not going to go through and give you my MVP picks and my rookie of the years and blah, 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 because we run a different operation here. So what I'm going to tell you is I'm going to give you some data, some calculated data, our best value from a positional standpoint, from a pitching standpoint at the midway point of the Major League Baseball 2020-22 season. Probably heard this guy's name. The top position best value in Major League Baseball right now, Jordan Alvarez from the Houston Astros. Just mashing. Kind of crazy that it's a DH, but he's, he's been as advertised. I've seen him a couple times against my Mets. Seen him a couple times in just primetime status. He's, had, he's battled some injuries. He's not played you know, the majority of the games. It's 88% right now for the first half of the season. He's on a basic minimum contract of 765000 And that leads to a near 100% value. Almost there. Literally uh, 0.06 away from it. That's how good he's been. That's how consistent he's been. If you have him in your fantasy league, you're doing well in that regard. Right behind him, Paul Goldschmidt, who has not slowed down. Came out of the gates blazing in April and really has not looked back. That entire St. Louis team, uh, for the most part, has had their ups and downs, but not Paul Goldschmidt. He and Arenado have really been slaying. And if some of the younger bats can really start to get going, they're going to they're gonna not only catch Milwaukee, but be a real factor in the National League. Um, the difference between Jordan Alvarez and Paul Goldschmidt is about $25 million. Goldschmidt makes $26 million a year. Alvarez, like I said, $765,000. As does Kyle Tucker, $765,000, who's number three in terms of best value position players. Yes, another Houston Astro, the right fielder who is doing everything. He was a five-tool prospect coming up. He is rounding into a five-tool player in Major League Baseball just at the right time. Right, A couple of these, these veterans have moved on from the Astros. And if you've seen the Astros play at all this year, you know they're just as dominant, just as good, just as annoying and pesting. And they're for real. They're for real. They're going to run away with that AL West, and they're going to be a real problem in the postseason, even with the Yankees, who obviously have stretched out the American League lead enormously at this point in time. But this is a pesky team. This is a good team. And Kyle Tucker is a big, big reason why. Speaking of which, this is a bad team. Yeah, a middle, an, an under the middle of the road team. Let's put it that way. Taylor Ward with the Angels. Another name you probably heard from highlights and things like that. You know, he's averaging almost four production points a game based on our data. He's only making $720,000. So doesn't get much better than that. If we're talking about just veteran contracts or even arbitration contracts, so certainly Goldschmidt is the, is the tops here with that $26 million salary. And second behind him is Aaron Judge. That $19 million arbitration salary is not slowing down his production, right? 4.6 points per game. Just an absolute massive start. He's on pace for 60 homers. He's on pace for tons of RBIs. I believe he has 60 RBIs right now at the time of this recording. We are not quite at that halfway point. So we're looking at 120 to 125 on pace for RBIs-wise. That will do. Rafael Devers is an is a arbitration two at this point. And he's our sixth best value player, third best uh, veteran contract salary at $11.2 million per year. And Jose Ramirez with that fresh new contract in Cleveland. Absolute lightning. First two months has cooled off a little bit, but Cleveland is not. They are keeping pace with Minnesota right now. They're a real factor halfway through this season. They're going to be buyers this deadline, which I didn't think they would be to start the 2022 year. But uh, he's been obviously the linchpin and the reason for why they exist right now in this conversation. And then uh, finally, one more name, Jazz Chisholm on a basic minimum contract at Miami. Miami's pesky as well. They're just not talented enough. They just don't have the, the bodies that Houston does and the experience that Houston does. They've got 
two or three stud starting pitchers, both of whom I will talk about in a, in a second here. But Chisholm is clearly the guy positionally to build around. And unfortunately, maybe the guy positionally to trade, to bring in some bigger assets or multiple assets. He's flashy. He's got a ton of personality and charisma. He play a couple of positions. He's, got, he's a real player. He's a real guy. And uh, he, like I said, still pre-arbitration at this point. But a name you're going to want to remember for the next three to four years, even if he sticks with Miami at that time. All right, starting pitchers. We talked about the Dodgers a lot on this show. The Dodgers get talked about a lot everywhere because they're the Dodgers. They're good. They're constantly in World Series contention. This is a name on that, t- on that team you probably have not heard unless you follow the Dodgers. But the best value starting pitcher in baseball right now is Tony Gonsolin. He's probably the Cy Young candidate out of the National League. He's been absolutely ridiculous. He's on a pre-arbitration $720,000 contract. Got four years of arbitration ahead of him based on the Supers. And uh, it's an absolute steal. With Walker Buehler injured, with Kershaw kind of in and out a little bit here, with Trevor Bauer banned from baseball right now, this guy's been a lifesaver. An absolute lifesaver. He's got a 154 ERA, 0.82 whip at the time of this post. You know, 77 Ks in 81 innings, just ridiculous good value for a, uh, for a 28-year-old starting pitcher with four years of arbitration left. So that's the situation they're getting into here with Los Angeles. That's your top value pitcher. Shane McClanahan from Tampa Bay. The Rays always have somebody in this top three. It's just how they operate. They are so good at developing arms. This guy's got one more year of pre-arb and then four arbitrations ahead of him. He is just what the doctor ordered for Tampa Bay financially. And he's doing it again. Former number 31 overall pick. And uh, he's holding up his end of the bargain here just the second year inside the league here. So that's your second best value pitcher. And then as, as I forementioned, the Marlins find their way in the top three here. Sandy Alcantara, maybe not even the best pitcher on his team. Yeah, he's an ace. But he and Pablo Lopez, I, I think, could go hand in hand on any roster. The fact that they're on this one kind of stinks right now because they don't have the bats to keep up with this nor do they have the, the bullpen or the rest of the arms to really round out a rotation. But these two guys specifically are just lightning. They're absolute lightning. And he's, uh, he's in Cy Young conversations as well right now. He's in, a, he's in an arbitration salary of $11.2 million, So that's what I'm saying. There's going to be a point in time. Excuse me. They actually extended him. I, uh, I, I forgot about this. So last November, right after the season ended, before the lockout, they punched him out to five years, $56 million. So he should have excellent value here through age 30 over the next four or five years. And uh, it's an extremely tradable contract. If they need to flip this and try to get some bats, it's an ace. It's not a guy you want to move on from in, in the wrong situation, but he has a ton of value to stay and a ton of value to go in both cases too. So certainly a name you're going to hear a lot more down the stretch here one way or another. And the best value relievers are loaded with Yankees, as you might imagine. Geraldus Chapman's been out. They've lost basically their two or three best relief pitchers, high-priced relief pitchers, to injuries over the past 18 months or so. And they've had some guys really fill in the blank nicely, really nicely. Michael King, Clay Holmes. I just uh, your run-of-the-mill guys, some of who had starts in their, in their days and could go back to becoming spot starters as needed, but have been asked to take one or two innings here and there and have been outstanding. Ryan Helsley for St. Louis to replace the Jordan Hicks situation has been outstanding as well. It's why they're in contention in that NL Central. And Emmanuel Classe with uh, Cleveland. Another reason that they're doing what they're doing. Speaking of the pitching development, Cleveland continually pumps up arms. 
both for the bullpen and for the starting rotation. And they gave this guy a nice extension, a very Cleveland-ish extension. And he's going to be the guy for at least three to four years before they trade him to bring in more assets and start this process over again. That's just how the Cleveland organization works. It does them very well. They've been relevant for a long time now because of it. And it's coaching, scouting, it's development, and it's lower level coaching. That's why these guys sit at the top of these lists pretty much every single year. All right, that's your best values of the midway point of Major League Baseball. And finally today, I'm going to go back to where we were with the last episode. I had Scott Allen on to talk basically all things NBA free agency about a week into this thing now. And certainly we landed on Kevin Durant at that point in time, but we kind of had some fun with it because I think both of us agreed that at the end of the day, he's going to be a Brooklyn net in 2022-23. However, our good friend John Hollinger at The Athletic did excellent work, not only breaking down what can't happen with Kevin Durant from a financial standpoint, something Keith Smith has been talking to us about quite a bit over the past 72 hours or so, right? That Phoenix deal that everybody thinks is just going to happen, it's so much more complicated. I'm not going to sit here and bore you with it, but A, please read Hollinger's piece. B, please tweet at KeithSmithMBA and ask him to break it down because he absolutely loves getting nerdy with this kind of stuff. But the long story short is this. Phoenix, because of DeAndre Ayton's stats, the base year rule, Phoenix can't just say, all right, we've got $25 million of, of DeAndre Ayton for, the ne- for next year. That's going to be the starting salary he's probably going to get, unless it's a max, which is $30 million plus, but it's not. Let's say it's $25 million on the contract that we're going to sign and trade. They would also have to add about $22 million more in that deal with Aiden just to get a player of Durant's status in. And by the way, Brooklyn couldn't just do Aiden for Durant anyway because they're at the hard, t- hard cap threshold. They couldn't afford to do it. They literally are barred from bringing in that much salary. So here's what we're doing. It's way more complicated than that. I'm not going to tease what Hollinger has there in terms of Phoenix and and Brooklyn as a possible massive blockbuster mathematical nightmare endgame. But by the way, what he has laid out here on this piece, and I will certainly tweet it out with the podcast here, is the most NBA thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Tons of teams, tons of players, tons of picks, tons of numbers and math and and matching and exceptions and, and everything kind of, it, it, it is one big CBA stanza rolled up into a massive blockbuster trade. And that's really how things have to work. There's so much compliance in this league. It's so much going left, going right at, at any point in time. And it's all timing, by the way. And, and I'll, uh, I'll tease this much to you. Timing is a big part of what Hollinger is reporting here and uh, projecting, which as the piece is Kevin Durant's actual possible make some sense options here in terms of trade. And what he's saying here mathematically, and I'm not going to go through it. I'll let you read it. It's worth your time. Is that Gobert trade is not official yet. It's not official yet. And Brooklyn and Utah have already done some business here this offseason with Royce O'Neal. And when things aren't official, it means more things can happen. Yes, they can go away or B, they can be added to. And we see it quite a lot. Scott Allen constantly tells me, do not tweet, do not report about some of these things because A, a free agent signing may be a signing trade. B, an initial trade may be the start of a three-piece trade that is going to include two more teams and eight more players. 
And by the way, that's what's being reported here, being projected here by John Hollinger, which is that Gobert trade is not yet official. There's some kind of synergy here in making this work. And this was kind of where Scott and I were last, uh, on the last episode, which is, doesn't it seem natural that instead of Brooklyn getting back like four guys, that this just becomes one piece of a gigantic four massive player trade where there's three or four superstars in the league that could rotate and let's just put them all into one trade. And that way, not, no one team has to have you know, a massive salary match situation. We can spread the picks around. So some picks from Utah, some picks from Phoenix, some picks from Brooklyn. Everybody kind of wins and nobody takes a massive up or a massive down in this. That does make sense to me. And that's sort of what I said in the last episode, which is, I, you know, if Kyrie and Paul George and DeAndre Ayton and Rudy Gobert and, and, and all these big players are, you know, truly rumored to be on the move, Russell Westbrook, of course, if they're truly on the move from a projective standpoint, it does make sense to get these guys all into the same trade, you know, in, in certain areas because the matching exists. It's just about picks at that point. If you need to sweeten the pot a little bit, you can send, you know, a, a backup wing or a sixth man, but it doesn't have to be, we're giving you Durant, you give us five of your guys. Hey, no team wants to do that. Okay, we saw how that went with the Lakers. No depth, no roster. Nobody's going to do that anymore. And I realize you're, you're, you're probably saying, Minnesota just did it. They just sent a ton of players for Rudy Gobert. Boston just did it to get Malcolm Brogdon. You're right. Not official. Not official. We're not sure where those four or five guys are going from Boston yet. Might not be done. We're not sure where those four or five Timberwolves are going yet. Might not be done. Hollinger's dead on here. It's not a likely scenario, but it's fun as hell. And it may instruct you on how a lot of this stuff works from a financial standpoint as well in you know, kind of a long-form word problem example here. It's excellent. Uh, he mentions one that I've talked about quite a bit with Scott internally here as well, and I believe you mentioned it on the show. To me, the one that makes the most sense, and I think we're reiterating what we said last time, but it's worth saying out loud, is the Clippers who were reportedly in on Kyrie. I think the John Wall conversation probably tip, trips that up and possible good value with John Wall if he can stay healthy and become a role player for them. But it should be said out loud. It has been, and it should be said more out loud that Kawhi Leonard did not want to be with Paul George when he left Toronto. He wanted Kevin Durant, who was moving at the same time. Goes Brooklyn, not the Knicks, not the Clippers, not the Lakers, right? So there's obviously a, a desire for Kawhi Leonard to play with Kevin Durant. Now, I'm sure he's just fine with Paul George, who's a great player. Great. But from a, from a two-way standpoint, and by the way, the money would work on this one, that you could just do Paul George and Kevin Durant and a pick or an extra player here and there. It wouldn't have to get too complicated and too messy. It can kind of look like a natural trade. Would the Clippers do that? Do they have enough stock invested in Paul George that they don't want to screw this up. They want to see what it looks like with Kawhi Leonard because they really haven't yet. They really haven't been able to give this thing a, a, a legitimate shot. And a lot of smart people think this is the team to beat right now. So it possibly, it's possible they don't want to mess with what could be, but it is Kevin Durant. <laughs> so Paul George for Kevin Durant certainly solves 
each side's problems in terms of, you know, Clippers should be at least a wash there and, and Brooklyn should be tenable with Paul George and Ben Simmons and, and whatever else they can salvage from there, possibly even Kyrie. So roster standpoint makes a lot of sense for both. Makes a ton of sense for both. Does it need to happen? Do the Clippers have to do this? No, but it's Kevin Durant. So you're going to listen. You're going to make a phone call. You're going to see what we can do. Can we, can we get a wing out of this as well? Do, will they punt on Seth Curry as well? Bring him back west, possibly. I think there's a lot of leeway here with this one. This one's certainly easier to talk about out loud from a, from a financial CBA standpoint, but may not be the likely one because of the, uh, you know, the idea that the Clippers have this thing that really has never percolated, really has never surfaced because of injuries, and that includes Paul George's injuries, by the way. And now, now's the time to let this thing loose and see what they have. And will they give up on it before that chance even happens? It's possible because of Kevin Durant. Okay, my thanks to The Athletic. John Hollinger's piece and plenty other great ones are on The Athletic right now. Visit theathletic.com slash Trek. Get 40% off. When you register, download the app, search for the NBA, and it's going to be right there staring at you in the face. Check out DynastyOwner.com. Get your NFL Dynasty Fantasy Football season started right now. Use code SPOTTRACK20. Take a few bucks off at registration and get yourself ready for the upcoming season. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Track Podcast. 